welcome. Uh, pray that your heart is ready to receive the word. When we come to a time of worship, it's a time of singing and celebration, but it's also a time that we don't stand in judgment of God's word. God's word stands in judgment of us. So we yield and we bow and we trust the inerrant, inspired, and infallible word of God to speak life to us because the only thing that is worth listening to today is the word of God. People have lost their minds, but God hasn't because he's unchangeable. His character is impeccable. He never changes. His word never changes. The culture changes, but, but we don't change with the culture. When culture and Christ collide, Christ wins because we nail down the word of God. So we already have the victory. And so tonight, if you have your Bibles, this is gonna sound a little strange. Turn to Philippians chapter four. The reason it sounds strange is for a year prior to Pastor Matt coming, I was in the book of Philippians taking my sweet time because everybody said it would take us two years to get a pastor, at least. And I didn't make it, to, but to the end of chapter three, verse 20, I went back to the website to see if I was right, and that's where I ended. Chapter three, verse 20, and I went through 4-1. That was a year ago, and my last eight messages were looking into the face of a camera with no people because we were in the midst of a pandemic. So the wonderful thing about teaching verse by verse is I didn't write this, I didn't ask to be invited here, but Stuart asked me to. So I'm gonna finish the book of Philippians in the next few weeks on chapter four, because that's on my bucket list. And, and that's what I'm gonna do. So the one thing about teaching verse by verse, we can never be accused of like meeting with someone and someone going, oh, they met with me and the pastor is nailing me today. We, you can't do that when you teach verse by verse. We, we let the text speak for itself. So if this hits you where you are tonight, I didn't write it. God did, and he has a word for us. So Philippians chapter four, I've entitled this when relationships go sideways. So let's just see if anybody can experience that tonight in their life. If there's a relationship that you have that has gone sideways, Paul tells us, that unity is incredibly important in chapter four. So let's back up just a little bit on the context because when I finished uh, chapter three, verse 20 is where I'm gonna back up. You won't see this on the screen, but it says this, for our citizenship is in heaven. So going back to what I had taught a year ago was we're talking about dual citizenship here, Paul is, to the Philippian church in Philippi. He's talking about you, you're in heaven on your way to heaven. So you, you live on this earth, but your heavenly home is here. So we look to Jesus. Here's what he says in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, this is good news, our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. We're gonna get a new body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things, look at this, to himself. Therefore, Paul says, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy in my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So he's talking about living with the end in mind. Paul's talking about we eagerly await a savior and we live with the end in mind. One of the things that happens to us as believers is we live with the day in mind, we don't live with the end in mind. 
Paul was always talking about the end in mind. If I could explain it to you this way, growing up going to Astroworld when I went to Stutchbury Elementary over here, I had a season pass, and my mom would drop me off. And you remember the bridge, if you remember Astroworld. She would give us money uh, for the day. Um, I went with my... uh, which my wife now, but we were dating in second grade over at Stutchbury, so we just went together. <laughs> so we both had pockets full of money. And so one of the things that would happen is we would go there and we would immediately begin to play all the video games in the arcades, and we never really lived with the end of the day in mind because the excitement of the day in mind was more important. So one of the things that happened at the end of the day, we didn't have any money. And we knew that we wanted to get what was called the Wonder Bread. If you remember exiting out of Astroworld, there was a place where you could buy bread for five cents. But if you didn't have five cents, you only had one option. And that was to go to all the telephone booths and see if there was any change in there or all the uh, vending machines. So we would go and do that because the problem was we didn't live with the end in mind. The Apostle Paul tells us as believers in Jesus Christ, you can't live with the day in mind, you have to live with the end in mind. Because if you live with the end in mind that Jesus is gonna come and rescue us, then that changes the way you live during the day because you have a different focus. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And then we move into chapter four. And here's what he says. You're gonna think it's a disjointed text. And that's the whole point. I believe what Paul is saying in chapter four. So he says this, therefore my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Notice the phrase in the Lord, circle that, mark it, highlight it, beloved. Verse two, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntychike to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. What happens when relationships go sideways? It happens all the time. I recently saw an article that a thousand churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are on the verge of closing their doors. Can I tell you what most of the problem is? It's because people are fussing and fighting inside the building and they've lost their message and their focus. They live with the day in mind instead of living with the end in mind of the glory of God and reaching their community that they allowed people in the building to not hold to the standard of God's word and there was a rift that happened in the church and the church no longer can keep its doors open. What a sad testimony. What a sad testimony. And it's all over America. Paul says... In chapter four, you may think, it just doesn't fit in here. That's the point, because Paul has been talking to us. This is a church that is cherished. This is a great church, because chapter one, the theme of chapter one is, Paul said, Christ is my life. 
Philippians 1.21. Chapter 2, for Christ is my attitude. So Christ is my life, Christ is my attitude. Chapter 3, Christ is my goal. And chapter 4, Paul's going to talk about the theme verses. Chapter 4, verse 13, Christ is my strength. But when people began to go at odds with one another, they began to operate out of their own strength and their own flesh and their own power, and they don't yield to the power of God. So Paul basically says, we got a problem here in the church of Philippi. I implore Euodia, her, her name means good, prominent one. That's, that's what her name would be. She was a prominent member of the church in Philippi. She helped Paul further the gospel in Philippi. So her name means good one. Um, also, the name Sintiki means pleasant experience. She would be one who would have been used to reach people. She would have had a pleasant uh, uh, demeanor. She would have been welcoming. She would have been uh, giving people a look, a word, and a smile. She would have been that kind of person. Now, those two people yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit, God was using them in an incredible way. But once relationships go sideways, there's a reason that they go sideways. And here's what I love about Paul. He doesn't tell us what the reason is. Look at the text. I implore Euodia and I implore Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. So the remedy... Listen carefully. The remedy when you have broken relationships is not for you to say, I win and I'm right. Because Paul tells us that's not even the issue. I think the reason that Paul tells us doesn't tell us what the issue is is because the issue is not the issue. The issue is, are you going to unify yourself around the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is all unity? Or are you going to sow discord in the body of Christ and disrupt the fellowship at the church at Philippi? So the remedy is this. Look at the text. Be of the same mind in the Lord. He told us in verse 1, so stand fast in the Lord, the position of faith in the Lord, consecrating yourself to the Lord, in the Lord. So anytime there's a relationship that goes sideways, always check to see if people are willing to yield to the Lord. And the answer would be in most situations, they are not. In most situations, they are not. They are yielding to their flesh. They are acting selfish. They are doing what they want to do to draw all the attention to them. Now listen, here's what's important about this. Paul's writing from prison. He's in a, could be a Mamertine prison that would have a stairway going down like this, where you get thrown literally into jail. The term thrown into jail, Paul would understand that. So Paul, if anybody wanted to have a rift in a relationship, it would be the Roman guard that he was chained to. He would have every reason and every right to be bitter about his situation. But here's the thing about Paul. Prisons worked for Paul's furtherance of the gospel, not against the gospel. See, we think when someone gets thrown into prison, 
Oh no, let's pray him out of prison. Let's pray that Paul will get loose. No, don't pray that Paul would get loose because God is using Paul because he's chained to a Roman soldier and the people that are getting chained to him are getting the gospel shared to with. And so Paul's telling a church that he loves, that he cherishes two women who've been on mission with him. Get it together on the outside of this prison because I'm chained on the inside of the prison and the Lord is my life. He needs to be your life too. That's what he's saying. It's a beautiful thing here that Paul is not going to let them get away with what they're trying to do. They're trying to sow discord in the body of Christ. And so here's what happens a lot of time when two people, here's what we know. It wasn't a doctrinal issue. If it was a doctrinal issue, Paul would have been all over it. It was probably a personality clash. And it was obviously public. See, this was a circular letter. This was a letter that would be read in little house churches. So this letter would have been read to the little congregation and Euodia and Syntyche would have been hearing the letter as it was being read. Think about that. Everybody knows that they already can't get along. But now the letter is writ, uh, read by someone who was maybe passing through and it says this, Euodia and Syntax, Paul's calling you out. The reason that Paul's calling you out is you've already made it public to the church. It's already causing division in the church. Christ does not cause division. So as you yield to him, you can put your differences aside. But obviously, you girls, gals, could be men. Don't send me an email. It could be anybody. But the point is, Paul is saying, I'm telling you what the remedy is. The remedy is you need to focus on the Lord because the same Lord that gave you grace when you didn't deserve any grace and you didn't deserve any forgiveness and you didn't deserve any hope, he gave you hope and he gave you forgiveness and you didn't deserve any of it. So that same God, you've caused him more pain and this person has caused you less pain. So don't you think you could get along by focusing on him? That's what he's saying. This is incredible. He's writing from a jail cell and this is critically important to him. Can I tell you something? In our church, don't think for a moment that this stuff can't happen. Anytime, anywhere that God is at work, there is the enemy that loves to use people as puppets and uses them to glorify themselves and sow discord in the body of Christ. I wanna encourage you, if you have a broken relationship with somebody, would you settle it for the sake of the gospel and the sake of Christ and the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the king and the sake of the eagerly awaiting savior that one day we live with the end in mind? Could you imagine that the Lord's gonna return one day and people are gonna live their lives in brokenness with each other when he's already paid the price for that? How sad. How sad. And I want to tell you what, I've been there more than once. I've been there. I've been bitter. I've been angry at people. I've tried to tell them this is my way. And then I had to get before the Lord and he said, big boy, what is it that I have forgiven you for? And when I focus not on them, but when I focus on him, then my perspective changes. That's what Paul's saying here. Verse two, I implore you, Euodia and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Get it together for the sake of the gospel. 
And then they couldn't, so here comes a true companion. Look at the text. I also urge you, true companion, help these women. In other words, you have to have a counselor sometimes come along because the rift is too big. There's too much of a personality clash. There's too much of a difference. Here's what I want to tell you. God hates discord, but a lot of times people love it. They'll pull their phone out and video something in the church. Look at this, look at this, look at this. How sad that would be that we would animate something that God hates. That we have been, yes, we're all unique. We're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different gifts. But we are unified by the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. It means that we all bleed red in this room. And you may be a weird bird and I may be a weird duck, but guess what? We can love each other in Christ and say, listen, we can let our differences be our differences, but there's a bigger mission out on the field. Make it right. Make it right. And he had to, here's what God did. Paul says there was a true companion that came along. The word true companion here means yoke fella. Uh, so this, this yoke fella needs to help, that's what the word means, needs to help two, yokes, two, two sisters get yoked back together. Because two sisters can't get along. Can you imagine that? They couldn't get along. So when you think of a, when you think of a yoke, when you think of oxen, it would be like you would have this crossbar like this. Then you would have two loops here. You would put one ox in here and you would put another ox in here. And when those, they would both get in that harness and, and it would be pulled, the two of them effectively move cooperatively together. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, Yodia and Syntyche, I'm sending a true companion one who has the same heart as me, one who has been furthering the gospel just like you've been furthering the gospel, and I'm sending him there because you're not able to be yoked together, but I'm gonna tell you that we're gonna try this one more time, and I'm gonna bring a third party involved in this situation because the gospel is at stake here, and we don't have time to play games, so you're gonna have a yoke fella that's gonna come in here and try to bring y'all together in the Lord. Now, if you take this picture... You know, when Jesus says in Matthew, for my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, take a picture of a yoke. Take that same picture with the bar, two loops. When you and I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's the one in the yoke with us. And so he's the lead oxen, if you will, here. And and I come into a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens is you always have a lead oxen, ox and, and one that follows. And usually the one that's younger on this side over here begins to have abrasions on the neck because they are kicking against everything because they're not quite trained to stay in yoke and in fellowship with the one that they're next to. So the picture would be this that Paul is painting here. Jesus Christ is in the lead in Philippi. Jesus Christ's grace has touched you. It has saved you by his blood. And now would you get in the yoke and understand that Jesus is the leader of this family and the leader of this church and the leader of Philippi. And would you women get it together? That's what he's saying. Sometimes it takes a third party. I've been in rooms. I've called for third parties before because of the differences that I've had with people in ministry over the years. And it actually was very helpful because the person spoke truth into both of our lives. 
The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Love without truth is compromise. Truth without love is condemnation. Think about that. Paul's saying, listen, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of what is going on in Philippi, look what he says here at the end of verse two. We're not gonna finish chapter four in a few weeks. Just forget it. That's okay. I need to lose a little weight. Here's what he says. And the rest of my, look at verse two. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What he's saying here is, listen, your names are in the book of life. You've been forgiven. Euodia, Sintiki, a true companion. Your names are in the book of life. There's a lot of people in the community of Philippi whose names are not in the book of life. And when they see people in the, with names in the book of life who have been forgiven that are acting like their names aren't really in the book of life, it gives a mixed signal to the culture. It gives a mixed signal to people. So we've got to get this together because your names are in the book of life. You don't deserve to be in the book of life, but by his grace, he has chosen you. He has forgiven you. And so I want you to know that they're not in the book of life, but they're watching you. People on the outside are watching how those of us on the inside are operating in the grace of God. And if we can't get along in a room like this, how in the world do we have a message to the world? Here's what he says. Verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let me tell you, when you have a broken relationship, you can't rejoice. Can't do it. You will try to rejoice, but you can't trust to rejoice. The word rejoice here means to live in a state of gladness. It means to live in a state, in a position that joy has been given to you as a gift. It is undeserved. So Paul comes right out of a fractured relationship and he says, guys, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to repeat myself and rejoice again. And so he says, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I say, You remember the song. Children's Church, Brother Chuck. We did that all the time. So here's the deal. Here's Paul writing from a jail cell. And he's telling people on the outside to get it together and rejoice. Paul has joy and he's chained to a Roman soldier, but he has joy because his circumstances don't determine his joy. Your circumstances don't determine your joy. See, if you're happy tonight, that means maybe today you had some happy happenings. But if you don't have a happy day tomorrow, you may not have Be as happy as you are today. So happiness depends on happenstance. Joy depends on what Jesus has deposited in you by his grace through a relationship. So it is a state of gladness. That's what joy is. When you go to a ball game, you lose your mind. Man, we come unglued. We we cheer, we clap, we bear hug people that we shouldn't. And, and, And we high five people that we don't even know. And we do all these things out loud because something on this team has captured our emotions that something has caused us to respond to what they are doing. Let me tell you something. That's not gladness. That's not joy. Because they're going to lose anyway. Somebody's going to lose. And you'll be down the next week. Joy, this word, rejoice, is a state of gladness, a position that a gift has been given to you and me that never changes. 
When I go through pain, guess what? Joy carries me through that pain. And on the, on the other side of that pain is more joy. So I can stand in joy, I can walk in joy, and on the other side of joy is more joy because Jesus deposited his grace in me and his life is a life of joy and he never lacks joy. But if my relationships are not right, I won't experience the joy that he's given me. I won't appropriate that which I already have. You already have joy. But when you live in the flesh, Yodia and Sintiki, you can't experience joy. It's like you've set aside the grace of God to do your own thing. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Verse five, I think I'm supposed to, we're all right. Now notice the text. Let your gentleness be known to all men because the Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness, the word gentleness in the original language means sweet reasonableness. The word gentleness means to be without conflict. It means to treat someone as Jesus would want you to treat someone. So the idea would be when you have a fractured relationship, when people are acting in selfishness and acting in the flesh, there is nothing gentle about that relationship. It's a relationship of, of friction. It's a relationship where things come undone, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a job, whether it's within people in a church. There is no sweet reasonableness when, um, when there's friction and there's a broken relationship. But Paul says, wait a minute, are you going to yield to the word? Let your, as far as it is with you, let your gentleness be known to all men. I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know if Emory's here. Chuck might remember this because I was a student minister when this happened. We had a big weekend, called it Super Bowl Extravaganza at the Annex. We had a Friday night lock-in, we had a Saturday night something else, and we had a Sunday Super Bowl. I was, I was just wiped at the end. Student ministry, you just do it. You just get through and you love these kids no matter what. And something happened, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm standing on the porch of the annex, just looking out, we got the halftime show, we've blocked it out, we got this testimony going on, and I'm just standing out in front of the glass looking at Hughes Road. And Emory's over here and there's a gentleman that walks up to him and just is ripping into him. I mean, with his word, I can hear every word he's saying. And he is just letting Emory have it. Emory stood there with all gentleness, in all grace, in all mercy. And for 20 minutes, this man ripped into him, verbally abused him. And he said at the end, Emory just turned and he looked at him and he said, he's the student minister, not me. So the man made his way over to me and he let me have it for 20 minutes. Called me names I didn't even know were in the book. And with all that was within me, my flesh wanted to respond. I could have taken him out with no problem. <laughs> now, let me tell you, it gets better. So, so I'm thinking, do I want to be gentle? No. Does Christ in me at this moment want to be gentle to this man? And the answer is yes. So the question is, am I gonna yield to my flesh or am I gonna yield to Christ? In that moment, I can say I yielded to Christ. Not every time, 
You know, what he, you know what happened? Because we were gentle, it disarmed the conflict. But he called Brother Chuck the next day and said he's reporting whatever happened in the South Belt Leader. I don't know if you remember, you called me in and we talked. And I told him exactly what happened. Listen, you get 500 teenagers going on a bus to a lock-in down I-45, you're gonna have some problems at times. But it wasn't a major problem. But it was a problem. But anyway, I just want, I want to give you that illustration. It says this, let your gentleness. See, when you're walking, not in the saving grace of Jesus, you've already been saved, but when you're walking in the living grace of Jesus, moment by moment, situation by situation, when life confronts you and God drops somebody in your life that's a challenge and a frustration, you, you, get, you yield to him in that moment. You say, Jesus be Jesus in me, no longer me but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. Let your gentleness be known to all men. May we be a church when people come on this campus with all their broken hearts and all their baggage. And we all got baggage on the inside. Don't think you don't have any baggage. I got baggage. Every, all of God's children got stuff. But let us be known for being gentle. Only Christ, mark it down, can produce a gentle spirit. Only Christ. Here's what he says. Look at the text. He says, because the Lord is at hand. Here's what he's saying. The Lord's coming back. Euodia and Syntyche, you have an opportunity right now to make it right in the Lord. While you're on this earth, Christ is in you and Christ is in you. But at a certain point, the Lord is gonna be at hand. And when the Lord comes back, you're either gonna come, he's gonna come back and find a broken relationship between you two, or he's gonna come back and see the purity of his life in your life. Get it together. The Lord is at hand. That's why it's important to deal with the Lord. Then he says here, now, you, here, here comes the thing. This is important. Verse six, be anxious for nothing. You know when, when I'm most anxious is when I'm at odds with people. Are you? Think about it. Oh man, my, my heart sometimes flutters. If I know that I have a broken relationship or I know that something hasn't been mended, that I lose sleep, you lose sleep, we, we are anxious for everything. Everything makes us anxious because there's a relationship out there that Jesus died for both of us. If we could just put it aside and focus on the cross, he says, but be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer, the word prayer here, that he uses three words for prayer. I wanna bring this out and then we'll land the plane. The word for prayer here is a word that means to vow towards, to have a vow towards God. That's what it means here. It's the word that means to pro, proseki. It means to vow towards God. So it means that you and I, when we approach God and we're not anxious about anything and we're coming to him in a relationship with prayer, listen carefully. We approach his presence and we recognize that we're entering the presence of a holy one. We don't come saying, I'm fixing to talk to the man upstairs or I'm fixing to talk to the big guy in the sky. We approach God with fear and trembling. Prayer is a relationship. And we come to God in prayer because we don't want to be anxious in anything, but through prayer means that we understand that we're entering into a relationship with the God of the universe. And there's a reverence, there's a consecration, there's a holiness, there's a humility, there's grace that comes upon us because he's been so good to us. I don't talk to him like a friend, I talk to him as he is holy God. And I say, Jesus, I don't deserve to even approach you, but by your grace I am coming. My heart is anxious, I need prayer. That's what Paul's saying. It means to have a vow towards. 
Then he does another word, and supplication. The word for supplication means a request, a petition. So, so it's, it's like shooting with a shotgun with the word prosecume. It means to vow towards God. That's the first word. But then I began to laser focus like a rifle. And I'm coming into his presence and it says here that to supplicate means to petition God. Now think about this. God wants me to petition him. He lets me let my request be known to him. He doesn't have to do that. He's God. And guess what? When I tell him what my requests are, he doesn't go, I, I didn't know that. He knows all things. So I don't come to Jesus with a list of laundry and tell him all the things that I think he doesn't know. I bow before him and I petition him because my heart is anxious because relationships are broken. And so I'm coming to him and I'm kind of shooting with a rifle and I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, that I can come to you by your grace. That's what he's saying. Now listen, then he says, with thanksgiving, look at the text, with thanksgiving. You come with prayer and supplication, but you come with thanksgiving. Now, when you have a broken relationship, you're bitter. Paul says, don't come to God bitter. You come to God with thanksgiving for everything that he's done for you. You come with a grateful heart. You come with an attitude of gratitude. You come knowing the ones whose presence you're entering. You come knowing that you can bring your request to him and make them known. And you come with a grateful heart that you can even talk to him. You don't come to him with a list. You come to him out of love for what he's done for you. Look what he says. And let your request be known to God. That's the third word for prayer here, the word request. The word request here means you ask as a beggar. You're coming before a superior. You're, co you're coming as a beggar before a superior. And you're letting your request be known to God. So on the end of that rifle, where you have an attitude of gratitude, you've got a scope. And you better line that scope up because your requests need to come as a beggar talking to a superior. He's God and I'm not. And however he answers prayer is all up to him. I don't twist his arm. I don't make a list and tell him what he needs to do for me. I surrender and say, Jesus, do whatever you wanna do, however you wanna do it, whenever you wanna do it. And you know what he might say? I need you to go back and make that relationship right that's broken. You'll find that through prayer. Been there, done that. Then he says, Coming to the end. We're gonna make it. You just tell Stuart to stay on away. It's okay. He's all right. It's gonna be okay. And the peace, you want the peace of God? Here's what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The peace means this. God brings it all together and he settles your heart and he settles my heart. Through weaving these different ways of prayer, I come vowing towards him. I come as a, a beggar to a superior. I come acknowledging his presence. He weaves all those prayers together, and then he says, now you have the peace of God. Now there's a difference between the peace with God and the peace of God. I already have the peace with God because I've trusted Jesus as my savior. That's a gift to me. But the peace of God is conditional. If I surrender to Jesus, then I'll experience the peace of God that he's talking about here. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You know why I, can, I know I can have the peace of God? Because God doesn't have any anxiety in himself. 
He says, don't be anxious about anything. I know I'm anxious about some things, but guess what? God has no anxieties within himself. He has never experienced worry. Not one time. He has never been stressed out. He doesn't know how it feels to be overwhelmed because peace permeates his entire being. That's who Jesus is. That's who my God is. God always has peace because peace is who he is. The God has peace. He's in supreme control. He's wanting me to come to a position where I settle my heart before him. He's wanting to work in such a way that it will bring him glory in the end so I can live with the end in mind. But I need the peace of God to permeate my soul. And when it does, Paul says, verse 7, It'll surpass all understanding. It means this. The world may say you can have peace, but God's peace is a holdover so much bigger, stronger, and more powerful than the world's peace. The world can't give you peace. Only God can give you peace. And then it says it'll guard your heart, your hearts, and your minds. Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia. And they would have military guards guarding like a fortress. When Paul wrote this, when he would say, guard your heart, he, they could picture what exactly a garrison that would guard their heart. God, God says, my peace I put around you will be a garrison that will guard your heart. So when the roar of this life, when anxiety overtakes me, when fear makes me dread everything, I can know the peace of God because it's a gift that he's given to me through Jesus Christ. I can know it. If I'll submit to him, I'll close with this illustration and then pray. When I lived in Tennessee, I whitewater rafted the uh, Ocoee River. It's a category four, I think is what they call it. A five, it's where the Olympics were held. It's not the Guadalupe River, okay? It's a serious rafting. So me and Keith Harrison and Jeremy Kraft, they came up to visit me. They're homegrown from this church, and we went rafting, and we got thrown out immediately in class four rapids. It was a dangerous situation. We lost all of our equipment. Uh, we were in danger of losing our lives because all of the uh, stuff we had on was coming off. The, the guide had to rescue us and throw us out the rescue rope and pull us on the shore, and we were bleeding. We had to go get tetanus shots, all kinds of things. But but we were in a roar of a river until we were rescued and pulled out of that river. And when I sat on the peaceful shore after being rescued, my heart sat down with me. Do you know what God's peace is? It's when your heart sits down. That's God's peace. He wants to do that in your life and in my life. Would you sit down tonight and let God calm you? Let him calm me. And if we have any kind of relationships that need attention, let's deal with it. Father, we thank you for this text tonight in Philippians chapter 4. We know that oftentimes relationships go sideways. Uh, I, I, I know from experience that they can go sideways for a while. But when my focus begins to be back on the Lord and not on the individual who may have hurt me or injured my heart, then I can be at peace because I don't see them as my enemy. I see them as my friend and my brother in Christ. But my flesh wants me to see them as the enemy 
And that's exactly the way the enemy wants us to see each other as enemies instead of friends and brothers and sisters who've been saved by the same blood. So Father, I pray that this word would be riveted deep down in our hearts, that you would speak whatever you need to speak in our hearts and lives tonight before we go to bed, that we would deal with whatever stuff we need to deal with, knowing that the remedy is we are in the Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.